This week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be here with you this week talking about attachment theory and relationships. And this week's episode is actually a dream come true. And let me tell you why. I have had the dream for the longest to record a podcast episode at this beautiful space here in San Francisco called Arcana. It's like a jazz club. They have wine. It's beautiful. It's filled with just luscious plants and the architecture is gorgeous. And I was so excited because a few weeks ago, the lovely, talented, fabulous author, Whitney Cubison reached out and asked me to co-host her book launch here in San Francisco for her book called Will There Be Wine? This is a fantastic rom-com. It's about a divorcee American in Paris that is starting to date again. And she goes through just all the gruesome stories that many of us have been through, although she goes through it French style in dating. And she makes it funny and relatable. And my favorite thing about the main character, Austin, is that she's just super secure in herself. Uh, she She slows up super authentically, even when men are doubting her, telling her that she's too much, telling her that she's too blunt. Um, And you know what? She just really is good at picking herself back up after a terrible date and getting back out there. And she's so brutally honest about all of the emotions that she's going through while she's dating. Um, It's just super fun. So she had me um, co-host and just talk about a few of the dating, um, kind of lessons that are in the book. We talked about, well, you're going to hear them, but we talked about um, the myth of the sex on the first date. Um, We talk about future fantasy projections and where that leads you in your relationships. Um, And then she talks a lot about her process of writing the book, which is super fun to listen to. Um, So I really hope you enjoy. And as you're listening, you'll notice that I try to abruptly end (laughs) the interview very quickly. So she continues on to answer Q&A and read more excerpts from the book. So I really hope you enjoy. Here we go. All right. Well, thank you again to everybody for being here. I really genuinely appreciate each and every one of you showing up. And uh, it's just so nice to see wonderful, friendly faces, many of whom I haven't seen in a very long time. So it's really nice to see all of you guys. I'm going to start out with a little reading from Will There Be Wine. Um, There is a blog that the main character writes that is called datingdisasters.paris. That's the URL. One thing that I'll just say anecdotally, I'm one of those people who watches uh, TV and movie, and if they have a a social media account or a website, I actually go look for it to see if they've extended the marketing thing and if it's a real thing. So I was like, I'm going to just do a URL. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to turn it into my author website. So I bought datingdisasters.paris. It is my author's website, and I will probably never date again, because now when you Google me, that's what you find. (laughs) Um, So that didn't really think that one through, but oh well. Um, So anyway, this blog that she has uh, is about all of the truly horrible dates that she goes on from from dating apps. And I'm going to read you one that is called Xavier the Sexist. 
Um, the other bit of preamble I'll say is that she has this set of rules for herself on dating apps of what she will automatically say no to based on pictures. And so there's a reference to the rules. So now you know what that's all about. So with, for, without further ado, here is Xavier the Sexist. Occasionally, dear readers, I doubt myself. Is my list of rules too long? Am I missing out on good guys that maybe just don't look good on paper? I was in this frame of mind when I matched with Xavier. In the bare minimum of exchanges, I discovered we were neighbors. So when he very quickly asked me out, I decided to throw caution to the wind and meet him the next day for a drink. Normally, I would have done more of a pre-qualification, but for whatever reason, the date was on. All I knew was that he lived nearby and bore a striking resemblance to Ryan Gosling, which I had made a mental note of even before he casually pointed it out. <laughs> we agreed to meet at the Parc Georges Brassens just a few minutes from where I live. Two hours before the date, he texted me. So, how does it feel to have a date with the best-looking guy in Paris's 15th arrondissement? I rolled my eyes so hard I almost pulled my eye muscles and seriously contemplated canceling, but chose to reply, working against my better instincts. Modest, I see. He claimed it was a joke, but by that, but by that point, I was officially not feeling great about the prospects of the afternoon. I arrived at the entrance to the park and seeing no sign of him, sat down on a bench to wait. Immediately, my phone rang. I see you, I'm by the fountain, come on in, he said. <laughs> I got up feeling slightly awkward, knowing he was watching me walk toward him well before I was able to spot him. We'd agreed to meet outside the park gates, presumably to head to one of the two cafes just opposite, but clearly he had other ideas. We said our hellos, sat down on the bench, and started the small talk. He said he'd brought a blanket if we wanted to sit on the grass and talk, or we could go to a cafe, as we'd discussed. I was wearing a short dress, so I pointed out that sitting on the ground maybe wasn't ideal. Don't worry, I won't look, he replied. So the grass it was. Awesome. <laughs> the small talk shifted to work, and he told me about how he'd just been let go from his job. He was pretty incredulous about it, saying that the boss had it out for him, and spending a lot of energy explaining the office politics between this guy and that girl and the other one, none of whom I knew, obviously. He was clearly not happy with the situation, so I tried to turn the conversation around by asking him what he loved to do, and therefore what he thought he might do next. I'll stay what I'm doing now, of course, but there are just not that many jobs out there where you make 100,000 euros a year, he replied. French discussions of money have always fascinated me. Some claim that the subject is totally taboo, that no one talks about how much money they make. But Xavier wasn't the first man to tell me his salary very early in a potential relationship. It was weird. But the conversation continued, and about an hour into the date, and pretty much out of nowhere, he said, I find you very agreeable. I think we should see each other again. Do you agree? I hesitated for a bit too long, and he looked genuinely perplexed by my reluctance, furrowed brow and everything. I decided to proceed with caution, as my spidey senses had started to tingle. I'm not sure yet, I replied, honestly. Why, he demanded to know. They say feedback is a gift, so I decided to just shoot straight. <laughs> well, Xavier, I mentioned that sitting on the grass wasn't ideal for me since I'm wearing this dress, and yet here we are. I've mentioned twice that I recently went on a great vacation and you didn't even ask me where I went. You spent the better part of the last hour talking about yourself, so I think that maybe you're just a little too focused on you. That's just not right, he returned snippily. We've only been talking for an hour, and of course I was going to ask you about you eventually. <laughs> you can't decide that I'm not for you after only an hour. 
I decided not to tell him that it usually took 15 minutes or less for me to know if there was going to be a second date. But he spent the next 15 minutes explaining that we were both attractive, smart, and interesting, so clearly we were a great match. I played nice and eventually made my excuses to go, saying I had plans to meet a friend. He asked me again as I said goodbye if we were going out again. I smiled, said we'd text, and walked away. And then the text storm started. I said I'd like to see you again, with pleasure, so the ball is in your court. I admit I don't understand your hesitation, but will respect it, of course, if you don't want to see me. But at least my point of view is clear. I didn't respond straight away because A, I wasn't interested, and B, also I was indeed in transit to meet my friend. And then 30 minutes later, a second ping. I'm waiting for an answer. <laughs> it's not normal to hesitate when a date was that good on so many key criteria. <laughs> it's a yes or a no, don't overcomplicate things. Listen, Xavier, it's a no. You're a nice guy, but not a match for me. Sorry, wishing you lots of luck personally and professionally. And then, the text just started flying in one after another. Can you tell me why? I'm bilingual, good job, good looking Parisian guy. So where is the problem? It's frankly humiliating for me. Who do you think you are? I'm not enough for you? Incredible, I've never experienced anything like this. No wonder you're alone. You must have a crazy collection of sex toys. Incredible. Too bad I was only interested in your big boobs anyway. Bye. Oh. But I want a valid reason. I can't believe you walked away from me like that. No one does that to me. The bye followed by the but I want a valid reason was truly where he hit his low point and he'd already set the bar quite low and it wasn't over. I'm waiting for a reason or several. Go ahead. I'm waiting. I hate cowards. So what is your problem? Is it that I make more money than you? After that last message, I blocked him, and not because he didn't have a good job or make more money than me, but really, in the history of time, has any woman ever had a problem with a guy making more money than her? It was all just so ridiculous. I briefly considered sending him a reply saying, oh honey, you don't make more money than me. Or perhaps less snarkily, remember an hour ago when you said you'd respect my choice if I didn't want to see you again? Is this what you think respect looks like? But the poor thing was clearly a fragile narcissist with anger management issues and my neighbor, so I decided the better choice was to take the high road and put a giant roadblock up behind myself so he couldn't pass. Now I just have to pray to the gods of the 15th arrondissement that we never cross paths in the street close to home. Xavier. Oh, oh. So with that, I will bring on Sarah to uh, talk a little analysis, relationship <laughs> analysis, and uh, put me on the spot on a couple things. So I'm let's so go. excited. I'm so excited. First of all, you guys are in for a treat reading this book. It's so fun. It's so well written. And it's hilarious. Like, just, yeah. Thank I mean, you. Just that passage alone. It's so good. I should also say that we're both wearing <laughs> leopard print and we did not plan this. Not planned. <laughs> in case you were wondering. <laughs> so to kick us off, we're gonna, I'm going to ask um, Whitney a lot of questions, but just to kick us off, I'd love to hear what prompted you to write this book. A lot of terrible, terrible dates uh, is really the short answer. But uh, the longer answer is I, I, I was posting little snippets of my horrible dates on Facebook, just sharing with my friends because misery loves company. Um, and I got so many comments back saying, you just, you cannot make this up. It's ridiculous. You have to write a book. And enough people said it that one day I just decided to believe them. And um, I did. 
I love that. I'm so glad you did. And I'm so sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, at least I got a good book out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my favorite thing about reading the book, and I, I love watching movies and TV shows and reading books um, and kind of dissecting the how the characters are relating. And attachment theory is actually a huge part of my practice. And so reading this book, what I loved about it is that Austin, who's the main character, I'm going to try to not give away too much. I'm horrible at spoilers. So just no like spoilers. cut me off when I'm doing it. <laughs> um, but Austin is such a really strong female protagonist. She's super secure within herself. She has really strong boundaries. Um, she makes a list of rules at the very beginning that are just hard and fast. Although the Metro rule, she kind of breaks a break, lot. Break that rule a couple times. Yeah. Which I'm Always to big regret. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious, like, what do you think keeps Austin going in the face of rejection? Because she is so resilient. She just keeps getting back up on that dating horse. And, um, you know, that's dating in a nutshell, to be quite honest. It is. Um, I think the, the big thing, thing for Austin and for me personally, well, Austin is me, let's be honest, um, is friendships and is the female friendships that um, that really carry her through a lot of the the drama. And, mm. you know, there's a there's some a fair amount of heartbreak. There's a fair amount of just ridiculousness like this. And it is the friendships and the conversations with girlfriends that, you know, you have along the way about why is this happening to me? And I think the people that are around you are a reflection of you. And I think, you know, uh, Austin has and I have such amazing, super duper, wonderful female friends, some of whom are in the room right now. Um, and those are the relationships that that teach you your self-worth, mm. I think, is, you know, if these people who I think are so awesome love me, then there's something lovable about Love me. That. And so that I think is a big thing. The second thing I would say is the values that mm. she has that are really about valuing honesty and uh, about compassion for others. And, um, and when those values aren't reflected in the guys that she meets, like this guy who was, you know, a narcissist and obviously not worth her time, it's very easy to walk away from someone who doesn't reflect those values back. So I think it's really those two things that kind of kept her going. I love that. Like the, her friends are kind of putting, helping her put her roots down so that she can kind of go off and meet these duds. <laughs> I live to tell about it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then date some more for some good, um, good material. More, more misery loves more company. Um, and another thing that's uh, in the book repeatedly is that Austin is told so many times that she's intimidating and blunt, which I think I have definitely worked through in my own dating um, experience. And I'm sure several women in this room have as well. So I'm curious, like, what do you think here is at play when people say that women are intimidating or too blunt? And what like helps her just keep staying true to herself? I think when people are intimidated by someone else, it's more about the person who's intimidated than the person who they find intimidating. I think it's a reflection of their own insecurities if they feel like, somebody's intimidating. And so that kind of, I, I don't know, I think that's easy to just dismiss and say, okay, well, I, I read somewhere once that for the right person, you will never be too much or mm. too little. Mm. And I love that. Yeah. I think that that's so spot on. And, and so I think it's really that kind of belief um, that she's worthy of love and, um, and, that the rest of it, if it does, if it's not a match, then it's not a match. And right. so move on and wait for the person that makes you feel great. 
love that. So it has literally nothing to do with Austin when they're saying that. And it's more of a reflection of them. I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. And I think <clears throat> if you are dating, that's a good thing to remember of like, oh, it's not actually about me at all. <laughs> um, okay. So this is the juiciest one I want to talk about, which is the myth of sex on the first date. Is anyone in this room willing to admit that they've done that? <laughs> Hands, Thank hands, you, hands, hands, hands high. Thank you, hands. Okay, we got some medium raised hands. <laughs> so I'm like, mm. well, um, it's interesting because Austin <clears throat> does engage in some sex on the first date activity, um, but she also has some kind of reservations about it as well. And what I love that Austin says, you know, oh, this might be a spoiler. I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> One of the things of the book that you just said is that if the person is for you, there's really no wrong way for you to say, act, or do um, when you're meeting them. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on sex on the first date now? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that the relationship with sex in France is very different than the relationship with sex in the U.S. It, what I, I've been in France now for 13 years, and, and the last time I dated in the U.S., I was in my 20s and here in San Francisco, actually. And what I remember about that is you can be hooking up with somebody for some like days or weeks or months, and if you haven't had the define the relationship conversation, you may or may not actually be a couple. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety and what should I do and should I wait three days or what to call and meh, meh, meh. That's not how it works in France. In France, you sort of slip into bed with somebody and you wake up the next morning and you find out if you're either a one night stand or you're in a couple. Um, and this was something that I learned that way. Um, it was my, there's a chapter, I think it's chapter three, that's called The First French Boyfriend. And uh, she falls into bed with this guy, they wake up the next morning and he, and this is, this really happened. So I'll just own it as my story. It was probably in like May um, of that year. And we wake up the next morning. He's like, so what are you doing for summer vacation in August? And I was like, I'm sorry, what's your last name? Like August, are you joking? I almost fell out of bed. I was like really freaked out by that because for me, like we should have been having like 17 more dates before we were talking about what was happening in August. But in France, it's just very simple. And it's so much less complex. And you can break up as fast as you get together. But if you're, you know, th that decision is like a known quantity the next morning, yeah. which, you know, makes it a lot easier, actually. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, I think the first important thing to say is that that relationship and that ease of kind of slipping in and out of things, I think lends itself to more sex. Yeah. Um, yes. So, you know, there's that. But, <laughs> but I think the important thing, um, <laughs> we, we can celebrate that. <laughs> No, no shame in you know just seeking pleasure. I think that's fine. Aww. I think the thing to um, be honest with yourself about is your expectations. Yeah. And in the book, there's two examples. There was a guy uh, in the book called Kevin, who she meets, she sleeps with on the first night, and he's in town for a short stint. She knows he's just visiting. He's you know from another country. She knows that there's very likely no future with him, and so she kind of tells herself. This is just fun. It's just going to be two weeks of great fun. And I'm not like emotionally going to get involved and I'm just going to enjoy it. Except she totally connects with the guy. Mm -hmm. And then by the time he leaves, she's heartbroken because she has completely fooled herself into thinking that it was casual. Oh. And then he leaves and she's devastated. There was another relationship later where, you know, she was with this guy. She was she met him out in the wild, not on a dating app. Um, there's it's one of very few out in the wild meetings that still happen today. Um, and, you know, she connected with this guy. She liked him. They started, you know, fooling around and hanging out together. And she was 
missing something in the relationship. She was looking for more than he was able to give. It was really an intellectual connection that was missing that was super important to her. It was great sex. They were having a great time. It was lots of champagne and you know, spontaneity and sex and great good times. And then she was like, but I feel like I want something more. And so she was somewhat disappointed in the relationship because she wanted more. And then one day she kind of said, actually, you know what? This is enough. Now I know what it is. I can stop looking for more. He's not exactly what I'm looking for, but I'm having fun. And it's okay to just have fun as long as I'm being honest with myself about what that is. And so she rolls with that until, you know, it just kind of peters out as those things do. But um, I think it's just about being honest with yourself and, and having the right expectations on what it is or isn't. I love that. And really, I think the bottom line is like respecting women's pleasure because that's like equally important. That too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I coach clients all the time on this that really struggle with the shame of the morning after. And I love what you're saying about expectations because that's truly what it is. If your expectation is to, you know, have sex and have fun and you accomplish that, what is shameful about that the next morning? Like literally nothing. Like mission accomplished, like (laughs) check, did it, done. Now we can like move on to the next, whatever that might be. Right. Yes. <laughs> what she said. <laughs> um, okay, which kind of ties nicely into the ne- my next question, which is about fantasy future projection. Um, and this is basically when you meet someone and you're so excited about them, and you just start thinking about like, oh, now we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have these kids in this house on the lake and have barbecues, which I think actually Austin says at one point. Yeah. So we're gonna read a, read a little passage about it. Yeah. So this is from chapter nine. It's called. Again. When she wasn't working or traveling, Austin continued to swipe left and right until she matched with Grégoire, a morning radio DJ on Radio France. Their first date started like they all did over a glass of wine. He chose Le Fumoir, a chic yet unpretentious CNBC bar and restaurant. Austin loved to go there to people watch, a term which curiously didn't have a proper translation in French despite France being the birthplace of sidewalk cafe culture. As they settled into their outside table with a view of the Louvre, she noticed he had one perfect brown freckle on his left eyelid that she immediately wanted to kiss. She observed as he ordered a bottle of Côte de Provence and a plate of charcuterie and cheese for them to share. He's got a perfect voice for media, but those poor, for radio, but those poor listeners sure are missing out on the view, she thought. So what's it like being a radio DJ, she asked him, sipping her rosé. It's fast paced, it's fun, it forces you to be on your toes and on top of current events. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do, he told her. This, she thought silently to herself with the corners of her eyes smiling upward. It's so nice to meet someone who loves what they do. So many people are just punching a clock, it seems. I couldn't live that way. Agreed. Also, I love music of all kinds and discovering new artists. Do you know French music very well, he asked. She shook her head, not nearly as well as I should. I'd love to teach you. She was suddenly desperate to be the teacher's pet. (laughs) She imagined the two of them arm in arm in concert venues across Paris, listening to all the best bands with backstage passes hung around their necks. As her mind swam in the imaginary music and stage lights, she recognized a familiar pattern. She did this when she met someone new, projected too far into the future, imagining what life could be like with them. She inevitably did it too soon before she knew them and then struggled to rationalize reality with the fantasy. She knew she shouldn't, but she couldn't help herself. Suffice it to say, her imagination was healthy. (laughs) Thank you. 
<laughs> so I, um, I often tend to future project. Um, I'm curious, has anybody else relate to this? Have you ever maybe gotten a little creative about what a future relationship could be? I will say I'm going to own this right here. Not only do I do this with people that I have dated, but I've also done this in my career. <laughs> I just had a baby. You know, I did a lot of future projecting on what my baby was going to look like, what being a mom was going to look like. So um, I love how Austin just continues to be so brutally honest in how she is like in the end, like really projecting a lot into the future. And I'm just curious, what do you think helped her end this habit? End this habit. Um, I mean, first, I guess I'll, I'll say that I think Projecting and, and being able to see a future with someone is important. And if you can't, that's a red flag in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I, but I think the um, the important thing, she's a romantic. And so she has these big ideas and she wants the, the big dream and the big love and the big life. And, and I think that that's fair as long as you're not ignoring reality yeah. and ignoring the red flags that are going up against what your projection is. But at the end of the day, like nothing's perfect. Every relationship is a compromise. And, um, and I think it's just about being true to what you're seeing versus what you want and figuring out how to rationalize those somewhere in the middle. I love that. And not getting just too, too lost in the imagination ship. There was a beautiful quote oh, yeah. you shared. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I was, um, I, I was actually was telling Sarah earlier, I, there's another relationship coach who's based in the UK that I was talking to. And she uh, said that uh, if what you see is a, your vision and their potential, what you're actually in is an imagination ship. <laughs> that totally nails it. I mean, imagination ship. What a great thing. Her, her name is Marta. And I just thought that was brilliant. Oh, it's so good. I love it. And like people tell you who they are, right? Yep. Xavier. Absolutely. Told you right up front. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've, another expression that somebody told me once that really stuck with me is when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. It's so good. Like you can want them to be someone else, but when they show up and aren't that person, you have to believe. You gotta believe them. What they're showing. But what if they look exactly like Ryan Gosling? <laughs> <laughs> then you give them uh, 45 minutes longer than you would have. Ah, okay. okay. Generous. That's very generous. Okay, was there a specific date or um, relationship story that didn't make it into the book? Yes. Um, and so Sarah's got a dog. She was telling me, Frida, 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 Frida. Um, and she was telling me about her dog. So I was like, I have to tell this story. So, um, I, my, um, ex husband and I have had a dog, Pongo. Some of you knew Pongo. Um, and Pongo was with us in Paris and he, um, when we split up and got divorced, Pongo was going to take his retirement back in Texas, um, with my parents. And so we took Pongo to the vet to get the papers for him to fly back. And I was there first and, and uh, Mike was meeting me there later. And um, we, I was talking to the vet and he was like, okay, so how long is Pongo going to be in the States? And I said, indefinitely. And he said, why? And I said, well, my parents got him in the divorce. And he said, who's divorce? And I said, mine. And he was like, you're divorced. And I said, yeah. And he was like, huh. So right about then, Mike comes in, we do the appointment, you know, <laughs> sign all the papers, da, da 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 and we're saying goodbye at the end of the appointment, and he kind of shakes Mike's hand and says, you know, have a nice life, whatever, pats Pongo on the head, bye buddy, have fun in Texas, and he looks at me, kind of takes my hand, pulls me in a little, and says, get a cat. <laughs> And then lets me go, and I'm like walking out of there, going, "What? The, what, what was that?" Um, and and I thought about it, and I was like, "Okay, I think I know what that was." And so I looked him up on Facebook. I found him. I sent him a message, and I was like, "I'm pretty sure get a cat, mate. You wanted to see me again?" Question mark. And he was like, "Yes. Can I take you out to dinner?" I was like, "Yes, you can." 
Eh, he ended up being kind of boring, but that was the best pickup line I've ever gotten. Get it. So I really wanted that. I really wanted that to be in the book, but the book kind of I decided needed to start on the day of her divorce, and so that was too much preamble. And then That's I had fair. to explain to the dog lovers why the dog went away and. I didn't want to do that. A lot of backstory. Anyway, yeah. too much backstory. So that story didn't make it, but that's that was one of my favorites. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I'm curious, what do you hope that readers will get out of this and take away from the read? Well, I mean, I, I wrote, the, I started to write the book, as I said, kind of based on all these really ridiculous, funny experiences. And it was a bit of slapstick. And, you know, I thought it was just going to be kind of funny. Um, and then as I started to think about what is the red thread that pulls all these stories together and makes it an actual book rather than a random collection of anecdotes, it was about the friendships and mm -hmm. about like what you learn about yourself in the process of see seeking love and of uh, being out there on the scene and those friendships and how they carry you. And so I was hoping that when I was talking to my editor and I was saying, I hope that it, it sits somewhere at the intersection between Sex and the City, Bridget Jones' Diary and Eat, Pray, Love, where it's kind of the equal amounts of sex, humor and introspection and that people take away something uh, that they kind of go, OK, that's actually going to make me think about my own relationships, my own needs, my own wants. Um, and uh, so that's what I hope is they get a little bit of a good laugh, a little bit of thoughtfulness and, um, you know, some good stories about Paris and culture and the weird, wild, wonderful world of dating. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> and for anyone listening that's on the podcast, too, I just want to say if you're single and you want some inspiration um, of someone else that's in the trenches with you, this is a fabulous read. And if you're a guy who's dating, it's a great Emmanuel about what not to do. Also, also true. Also very, very true. <laughs> Thanks so much, Whitney. This Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was yeah. great to be here. Yeah. Do it in the microphone. Let them. Uh, you want me to keep let the away. listeners have it. Okay. Um, so, so this one is um, from the chapter where she meets the first French boyfriend. They're in a restaurant. I'm not starting from the beginning of the chapter, so I'll just do a little preamble. They're in the restaurant. It's two of her friends. They're sitting there talking. She's already kind of spotted the guy, and um, and she's watching. So here we go. This is uh, some of the friendship goodness. So Kiara, any good dates lately? Daphne asked once they'd made their choices for dinner. A devilish grin spread across her face. Well, as a matter of fact, yes, although it wasn't a date. I met someone salsa dancing last week. Nico, he's way too young for me, but my God, he can move. The body, he was simply not to be resisted. Austin raised an eyebrow. Just how young are we talking about? He's 28. It's scandalous, Kiara whispered. I'm a soon-to-be divorcee in my 40s with a boy toy. How did I get here? <laughs> she feigned shock, but Austin could tell Kiara was delighted by this latest development in her love life. As she should be, Austin thought. The newly divorced dirt deserves some fun, don't we? Lord knows I do. In his second display of impeccable timing, the attractive waiter returned to the table, ready to take their order. Daphne went first, and then Kiara, leaving Austin to complete the round. And you, madam, what would give you pleasure? She blushed at, his, blushed at his innocently feigned question and ordered the scallops. There are a few other things that would give me pleasure, and they all involve you, she thought. <laughs> he smiled in acknowledgment and headed toward the kitchen. Well, that's interesting, Daphne said, looking pointedly at Austin. 
right? I felt some electricity between you two, Kiara nodded conclusively. Throughout the evening, he was exceptionally attentive, recommending wines, making small talk, and checking in often to make sure they were having a great night. The corners of his mouth turned into a smile each time he caught Austin's eye, and her body temperature rose with each stolen glance between them. By the end of the night, she was drunk on the idea of him and admittedly on the full-bodied Bordeaux he'd been pouring all night. But she knew it wasn't just the wine making her giddy. She felt desired for the first time in a long time. So how was everything, Charlie's Angels, he asked, handing them the check. The three women looked at him and each other quizzically. The brunette, the blonde, and the beautiful redhead, he said, looking at Kiara, Daphne, and Austin in order as he spoke. They laughed warmly at his American cultural reference as his gaze seared into Austin's smiling face. Everything was delicious, thank you, she said calmly, while her pulse raced wildly. By the time they'd settled the bill, Austin was a ball of nerves. Okay, girls, what's my move here? I can walk out and never see him again, or she grabbed her wine glass and tossed back its remnants. Be bold and take a chance. You know this is how Jean-Marc and I met. It can work. Just give him your number on the way out the door, Daphne suggested. She makes it sound so simple, Austin thought, drinking in her friend's encouraging words. She'd been out of the game for a very long time. The last time she didn't get considered how to approach a man out in the wild, she'd been in her 20s and living in the U.S. Back then, courtship rituals still involved speaking to one another on the telephone. But times and technology platforms had changed, and she felt like a fish out of water. Go for it. You have nothing to lose. If he calls, great. If not, we'll never eat here again. Kiara zipped her purse. I mean, it was a great meal, but I'm willing to sacrifice this restaurant if needed for the possibility of you finally getting laid because that's the kind of friend that I am. <laughs> Austin's nerves, nerves edged her forward. As Kiara and Daphne gathered their things and made their way out into the street, Austin took a paper napkin from the table and walked to the bar where he was standing alone. Can I have a pen? She casually asked. He handed her one and watched with curiosity as she wrote, I'm Austin, along with a smiley face and her phone number on the napkin. Thank you. She handed him back the pen and paper. She walked away quickly, trying to look cool while her insides were on fire. Nice to meet you, Austin, he called after her. She looked over her shoulder as she walked out the door and saw him grinning from ear to ear. Daphne and Kiara watched the whole thing from the street through the restaurant window, and the three collapsed into laughter as soon as they were out of his view. Well done you, Daphne said. You're officially back in the game. Austin was buzzing. She'd connected with someone and proactively made a move to explore it. Maybe nothing would come of it, but tonight she felt two things she hadn't felt in a long time. Wanted and empowered. She was taking her life back. Okay. Hey, this is future Sarah jumping in really quick. So it was a little hard to hear everyone's questions in the audience during the recording. So I'm just going to um, let you know what they are now so that you understand the questions that Whitney is answering as we continue. So the first question is, what's been your experience since writing the book? The second question she answers, it's more of a statement, but a sweet friend in the audience just said congratulations on this next step and talked about how amazing it is to see her in this new role. The third question is, somebody asked, what is a better source for meeting people for dates? Is it out in the wild or is it on the apps? And then the fourth one is, what actress would play Austin, the main character, if it was made into a movie? And then the last question is, what's the biggest difference that she's noticed about dating American versus European folks? And with that, I'll leave you to her answers. Right. 
what's been the experience since writing the book that may be different from what you expected or, or has opened the door or something since writing the book? How, how is, you mean with regard to dating? Dating or life? What life. Um, well, I don't have a hundred hours a week job anymore, um, so that's different. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. And how has that how has that changed dynamics relationship with friends, with family, with has it all? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think um, anybody that's known me for longer than five minutes knows I'm pretty much what you see is what you get. Um, so a lot of the stories, especially for my good friends, like they'd heard some version of them. And so, you know, I, I get a lot of questions from the friends about, who is this character really? And was that really real? And I get a lot of that, some of which I answer and some of which I don't. Um, but um, the, the big change has been dating, actually, because when I, I was worked at Microsoft for 16 years, and so I would always be... Whitney from Microsoft. And so when I stopped doing that and started doing this, especially before I had published, it was, I'm Whitney, I'm an author, I haven't actually published anything, um, eh, I'm self-publishing. There was a like an insecurity about my identity that had been so closely tied to Microsoft for so long that suddenly it was not anymore. And so I, I had a, a struggle kind of adjusting to that. And then you, know, the, you talk to someone and they're like, okay, so what are you writing? A book, novel, what's it about? bad dates. And the guy goes, oh, shit. <laughs> or they go, oh, that's awesome. And, and I think w I was expecting more of the oh, shit reaction from guys going, okay, well, I definitely don't want to date you because I don't want to be in your sequel. Um, but, uh, but then I, I've actually been pleasantly surprised by how many people have said, actually, that's pretty awesome. Like, good for you. And it has really kind of helped redefine my identity and kind of how I think about myself and this as a creative project. And, and then I get the question of, you know, are you going to just be an author now? Is that you're going to be your new full-time gig? Anticipating the follow-up question here, um, which is, I think, no, because it's a very solitary profession and I actually really like people, a bit of an extrovert. Um, and uh, so I miss working in a team. I miss that dynamic. And I think I will go back to working in communications at some point. But maybe I'll write another book. But if I do, I think it'll be on the side of like this one was written. Um, this one I started writing about five years ago during nights and weekends and vacations and planes and trains. And, um, and I would go months without touching it because I was dating or working or doing both or, you know, doing 17 other things. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I think... Um, now that I know that I can, maybe I will again, but I don't have another one uh, in the works uh, right now. Dating during COVID was a bit slow and dry. Um, so I don't have a lot of good new material at this point, but we'll see, never say never. Anthony. I, it, it's, it's less a question and more an observation from the other side of the world. I, I just want to celebrate how you have embraced this new chapter in your life. I've known you for over 20 years and have seen you do a lot of things. And I am just so excited to see you come into your own without a career, without the, the boxes that we all feel more comfortable in. And you are absolutely blossoming. And so, Thank you. I've had a lot of great support from a lot of great friends. And um, yeah, I, I've been so pleasantly surprised by the reception to the book and um, reviews that have come in on Amazon from people that I don't know that actually enjoyed it. And that's like so delightful to see. And um, so, yeah, it's just really been fun. I'm just having fun with it, riding it out, and we'll see what happens next.
waiting to see what doors this opens or who knows. All in for the new adventure, whatever that might be. Jenny. Uh, what do you find out of productive being sourced in the wild or the apps? Well, unfortunately, it is the apps that are more productive because people have lost the ability to talk to one another in the world. Um, they, everybody has in their earbuds and they're on their phones and their heads down. And culturally in France, there's a big difference between approaching people in a bar or whatever and saying hello. It's just not done. Um, I've literally, I've been single for the better part of the last 11 years and, and that's happened to me once that someone actually like said hello in a restaurant or a bar. Um, it's just not done there. And so I think if I was dating in the US, maybe it would be different. Um, but I even think that here, like so many people are on the apps and everything else happens online. So, so does dating. I mean, I remember when it first started and it was a big taboo and everybody was like, oh, don't admit that you actually met on Tinder or whatever. But now like no, nobody cares. Everybody's, everybody's meeting online. So I don't know. I, um, I would say 95% of my, well, 90% of the dates that I've been on have been from the apps. Um, some of the better stories, though, have been people that I've met out in the wild. So I think that says something, too. Graham, did you have a question? Sorry, I caught you with your mouth full. <laughs> If it was a movie. Um, so I was actually thinking originally that I would love Anne Hathaway to play Austin if, uh, if it was ever made to a movie. Um, but I just heard that she signed up for a um, movie of playing some other character who lives in Paris. So I think that dream was crushed. Um, Graham suggested Mila Kunis. I think, you know, that could work. We just have to dye her hair red. Um, or I don't know, I'm open to suggestions. Um, I'm actually going to, next month, I'm going to the London Book Fair for a couple of days um, with my publicist. And we are trying to set up meetings with movie and TV people to see if we can sell the rights. So that's kind of the dream. Um, but uh, listen, if they want to make it into a movie, I don't care who they cast. I just like want it to be fun and good. And that would be kind of wild and amazing. But uh, I'm not holding my breath. But uh, never say never. You never know. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yes? What, what's your biggest difference between the American folk and the European folk? Well, I mean, the, the story that I told earlier about the, you know, waking up the next morning and figuring out if you're a one night stand or a relationship, that was the big one. I think the other thing, there's, there's a language barrier. Um, and most of the time I'm dating in French and I speak French fluently, but you don't learn the vocabulary for sex and dating in school. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of times where you can't really communicate exactly what you want to communicate when you're speaking in a foreign language. And as a professional communicator, that kind of ability to use exactly the right words in exactly the right situation is pretty important to me. And so when you can't quite hit the nuance, that's frustrating. And there's a lot of things that are lost in translation. I, I think this story is in the book. Allison and I were talking about it earlier. But there was one time where I was trying to say to the, in the aftermath of an adventure, trying to say to the guy, like, you made my toes curl. And whatever direct translation I attempted in French did not work. He was like, what? <laughs> he was like so confused. And so I, I don't know. There's a lot of opportunity, especially in written and texting, is like the worst form of communication in the world to get yourself understood. And so when you're texting in another language, it's just like the opportunity for disaster is so high. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of really amazing things about it because you meet people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different perspectives on the world. And as a foreigner living in France, like I like 
getting the inside scoop from a French guy about this news event or that thing. And so like there's a lot of uh, in, insane like rich value in dating someone from another culture, but it also is um, has its unique challenges as well. The music started. I think it's time to drink wine. Thank you all for coming. That's it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. Like I said, it was an absolute dream come true. It was so much fun to work with Whitney on this episode. And to read the book, Will There Be Wine? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Um, You can get the book wherever you choose to purchase books. And if you do read it, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Um, You can find me on Instagram at It's Me, Sarah Cohan. That's I-T-S-M-E. S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. And as always, I am a relationship attachment coach. So if you are working on um, your relationships that you're currently in, or if you're dating, or if you want to be dating, if you're working on anxiety or people pleasing, you want to help setting some boundaries, I would love to work with you. Um, I help folks create secure relationships so they can show up authentically, confidently, 100% who you, that's, that's what I love to do. Um, and I work with women in a 12 week program doing one-on-one coaching. This is the best way that I know to make some significant change in your life. So if you're interested in working with me, you can find more information at sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. And once again, that's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Cohan, C-O-H-A-N dot com forward slash coaching. Um, as always, I will ask you to do everything that podcast hosts ask you to do, which is to leave a rating for the show, review, leave a review for the show. Not sorry, leave a rating, please. Yes. And if you're feeling generous, write a review for the show. It really helps other listeners find the podcast. Um, and of course, please share this with a friend. It's the best way to find out about new podcasts. And maybe it'll help a friend out that is um, finding themselves new to the dating scene um, or is just looking for a fun, um, hilarious chat about a series of bad dates in Paris. (laughs) Super fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. And I can't wait to see you back here next week.